Welcome to Living Free Today, a ministry of Cornerstone Fellowship in San Lorenzo, California. These podcasts are the weekly sermons of Dr. Michael L. Wilson. Please open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 24. I know that the scripture that was read was out of Luke. The parable of the fig tree is in all three Gospels, Luke 21, Matthew 24, and Mark 13. Jesus has just finished teaching in the temple and telling the high priests and the Jewish elders that they have been rejected by God because they are doing things their own way, and that God is going to institute a new covenant, a new program, and that new program is is us. And so he finishes those three parables. He then gets uh, alone with his disciples, And in rapid succession, he teaches them or tells them four parables about the end times, about his coming again, his second coming, Jesus before he has been crucified and died for the sins of the world, he has telling them that he is going to come back and what it's going to be like. And many people have wondered about this. Uh, The conclusion is that the most important stuff you save to last, that you're going to tell your disciples what you definitely want them to remember because things are going to fall apart very quickly after he teaches these uh, parables, these four parables about the end times. He then goes to the upper room has the upper room discourses, goes to the Garden of Gethsemane, is arrested and crucified, and this will finish the parables in the synoptic Gospels. The Gospel of John has one parable that is not found anywhere else, and we shall do that one last. And so what is the parable? The parable is a very short parable starting in verse 32 of Matthew 24. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branches become tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. That is the parable. And what he is saying is, especially in a a period, in a time where people didn't have calendars in their pocket, You want to know uh, when Super Bowl Sunday is in 2060? I can do that. I got a calendar on my phone that'll tell you any date. Back forward anything you want. It's all mathematical. And we have that today. And we have the ability to uh, look at things and know what calendar it is. We change our clocks twice a year in March and November to mark the changing of the seasons. But if you're a person who works in the fields all day and you may not even know what day it is. You just know that the sun came up again and you don't have a watch. You know there's a sundial in the center of town, but you don't have the time to go look at it. You know as the sun goes that it's, hey, it's probably noon. Hey, it's probably quitting time. And that's about as good as you can get. Jesus is saying that 
you people, he's talking to, his disciples have become very good at looking at trees, at looking at plants. And when the fig tree specifically mentioned here begins to get leaves and begins to get blossoms and some little figs on it, you know that it is becoming summer. Figs are a summer fruit. In California, we have every kind of fruit you can imagine. We have every kind of plant and flower. And people are very good about knowing when things will spout, when your oranges are going to come in, when your lemons are going to come in, when your bananas are going to come in. All these things come in at different times, and your farmer types know what that is. And we tend to anticipate changes in nature because we have a calendar, because we have the Farmer's Almanac, because we have documents that tell us this is going to happen. Jesus is talking to a group of people who had to look at it the opposite way. They had to look at nature and determine from nature what season it is. And Jesus' point is that that is a sign of the seasons. The fig tree is a sign of the seasons. There are signs about the end times. There are signs about the end of all things, about heaven and earth and passing away, about Jesus Christ coming again and setting up his kingdom. And as believers in Jesus Christ, we need to look at these signs, understand them, and see what is going to happen. And we don't, we're not ignorant. We don't get involved in dissipation and drunkenness. In other words, we care. People who don't care, and there's a lot of people out there who don't care about how the world is going or how it is going to end. And we need to because we're told to by Jesus to stay awake. And we'll talk about what that means. And so there are signs of the end times. Now if we, if we are the type of person who takes advantage of everything that happens in the world, there are all sorts of things. Like in 2013, I don't know if you remember 2013, but it was all over the news that there was a blood moon. Remember the phrase blood moon? It was the first time in 75 years or something going to have a blood moon. And blood moon is mentioned in the Bible. And so there are some people who would write a book. The four blood moons. Okay? And sold a million of these because everybody's like, ooh, what does it mean? What does it mean? What does it mean? Because the idea is if I can figure out the signs, I may be able to figure out when Jesus Christ is coming back again. But that's not, you can't do that. You can't even get close. We just know that today is closer than yesterday because the second coming of Jesus Christ is fixed in time in God's calendar and it's not going to change. And so every day that we live on earth, we march closer and closer to that fixed date in history when Jesus Christ is going to return. So where did John Hagee get his stuff? He got it out of Joel 2.31. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great awesome day of the Lord. And so what he's saying is, aha, see, the time of, of Jesus Christ's return is coming closer, which is a no-duh, because every, every minute we're on this earth, we are a minute closer to the 
coming of Jesus Christ. And so, in this passage, in Matthew 24, there are ten. There are ten signs that we need to look for. And when you turn on the news, when you open your phone for the alerts, and you see something that's one of these ten, it's a confirmation to us. It is a confirmation that what Jesus said is true, but he ends by saying, all these things, most of these things, are just the beginning of birth pangs. I don't know if you've had a baby or you know people who've had a baby. There are people that I've known who have gone into labor for 36 hours, for 25 hours, and at the very beginning of that, that is the beginning of the birth pains. The baby isn't coming here. No, it's just beginning to hurt. The baby's coming way over here. And what Jesus is saying is that these are signs, but they are signs of something that this is just the beginning of. It doesn't mean... Because I see a blood moon, Jesus is coming tomorrow. It means that that is evidence that Jesus Christ is coming. And so in Matthew 24, as we go through these, I won't spend a lot of time. The first in verse 5 is Jesus says there will be multiple Christs. There will be people standing up saying, I am Jesus Christ. And if you ever watch 60 Minutes or do a web search on this sort of thing, there are currently five. There are currently five people on earth walking around. There is one in the Middle East. There is one in Japan. I think there's two in Japan, and the rest are in America. And there are people who say that they are the incarnation, the reincarnation, if you will, of Jesus Christ, and they all have thousands of followers and there's no real statement about what sort of miracles they're doing, and they just seem to be living in the woods, not what Jesus Christ is doing. And so he says, if you see these people claiming to be Jesus Christ, do not go to them. I am the Christ, they will say, and they will lead many away. And, and, and you don't do that. You say, ah, crazy guy. Because when Jesus Christ comes back, you can't miss it. The whole world will see it. It will be obvious. It's not going to be a guy living in the woods in a commune. When Jesus Christ comes back, it will be clear and obvious. And so Jesus says, you're going to hear this more and more, and I think you are between now and the second coming. I think you're going to hear more and more people claiming to be Jesus Christ. The second in verse 6 is wars and rumors of wars. We've had wars and rumors of wars for as long as I can remember. Uh, currently you got the Russia-Ukraine. That's a rumor of war. We're looking at that. That's on the news. People are talking about this. Is this war? Apparently there's a, a civil war in Yemen and you can see that on the news. And so there are wars going on and there are people who are who are talking about future wars that haven't happened yet, and that's rumors of wars. And I think this distrust, I think this, this chaos between nations is going to increase, and it's going to be a very anxious world before Jesus Christ comes because we're going to hear about conflict and war everywhere. And then in verse 7, you're going to have nation against nation, actual wars, you're going to have fires and you're going to have earthquakes. 
And we have earthquakes. They're not every day. We just had a massive volcano explode near the island of Tonga under, uh, under the water. And it caused a uh, tidal wave that even hit Santa Cruz and, and our coast and knocked over some boats and these sorts of things. We look at it and we're not scared and we're not anxious. We just go, ah, okay. You know, the, the Jesus Christ return is coming. And the Bible never really talks about why the, the earth is reacting to Jesus Christ coming with earthquakes and things like that. Some have said, well, it's Satan trying to scare us before the coming happening. But the Bible also says that sin has a weight on the earth. It is a weighing down of the earth. And if the earth has a, a, even a, a geological reaction to this going away, perhaps the earth is saying, hurry up. And so we're going to see more earthquakes. We're going to see more wars. We're going to see more difficulties of people not getting along. And these are the early birth pangs. These are the early things that are going to happen to just let us know that Jesus Christ is truly going to come. In verse 9, believers are going to be handed over to government officials and put to death. Now we can see that in some countries it is currently happening in North Korea, it's currently happening in Saudi Arabia, it is currently happening in Indonesia where it's illegal to be a Christian. It is illegal to have a Bible in public if you are even caught with a page out of the Bible. In Saudi Arabia that is a death sentence. And so certain countries, many of your Middle Eastern type countries, are against Christianity, and you're going to see that more and more. It is more difficult in America for me to tell you that you are going to be hauled up before the government, but eventually it may happen. We kind of see inklings of people wanting to do that in our government, but it hasn't happened yet. Currently, we have to look at and pray for other countries that have become so anti-God they arrest people for being a Christian. In 24.10, it says, And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And you can read that and kind of go over it. I listened to a current events podcast, and somebody sent them this verse, and they were so taken aback because you can look at the world. The world is a place of hate. The world is a place of of vitriol when you look at what is going on on TV and government at all levels, even local governments are very, are using such language that they would never use before of name calling and calling people. And I have been called by government officials in California a crook, a thief, and corrupt because they wanted me to shut up about how the county is treating churches, and so they decide to call me names. And that sort of stuff wouldn't have existed 100 years ago, 50 years ago. There was decorum in society. 
Now people are shouting one another down and people are throwing things at one another and there's riots and there's all these difficulties that are caused by this group hating that group. And as all this is happening, and it isn't a miracle, you can predict this, church attendance is down all over the country. People are not going to church and so they're not getting the community and the truth of what love is. Love is growing cold, which is another sign of the end times. And so we can read this and we can go, huh, look at that. Another one is in verse 12, lawlessness will increase and love will vanish. And that is, we can see that. We can see that in, in how... I mean, you hear stories about how violent criminals are being released from jail because they're, they're just oppressed by society, which has been going on since the 50s, actually. People have been blaming society. But there seems to be a lawlessness. There se- you hear things and you go, huh, why aren't they in jail for doing that? And then you think, but if I did that, I'd be in jail. So there's a confusion about what the laws are, and therefore there is lawlessness throughout our country, throughout all levels of authority. There seems to be this law doesn't matter, and then love has grown cold, love has vanished. You don't hear a lot of government people telling you to love one another. You have government people telling you to state your own claim to, in essence, hate one another. And this is all signs of the times. Jesus predicted this 2,000 years ago. And you say, well, this has been going on for a long time. Well, some things have been, but I think it's getting worse. I think today is a very difficult time for America as things are, as we're fighting one another and hating one another and love has grown cold. But then in 14 it says, and the gospel will be proclaimed throughout the entire world, and it's happening. America is sending millions of of missionaries throughout the world. We support a missionary family in New Zealand. We used to support a lady in Panama, but she has retired. We support the American Baptist mission push to put people out there and the interesting thing is other countries are sending missionaries to America because they think we're a godless country so we're sending all these missionaries to France and France is sending missionaries here because they think that we need the gospel and so everybody's sending missionaries all over the place and I think it's true that the gospel is being proclaimed throughout the entire world People, organizations like Wycliffe Bible Translators have identified every language and every people group in the world. And they want to put the the Bible in all their native tongues. They want to translate the Bible into all these different tongues. And that is happening. And there's no way to know if that person way over there has really heard the gospel. But the missionary, I mean, they're trying. They're everywhere. There's missionaries flying in, and there's Bibles being printed in native tongues, and it is happening. 
And the Wycliffe Bible translators actually use this verse to say Jesus Christ won't come back until everybody has the Bible in their native tongue. I don't know if that's true, but the, the gospel is being preached more than ever before. Now that we have things like we can beam apps into China and people can download a shopping app is one thing that I heard about, that when they open the shopping app, it's the Bible. Okay, but the government thinks it's a shopping app. And so we're, we're tricking people and we're doing things and we're getting Bibles into the hands of people and the gospel is being sh shared throughout the whole world. Then in verse 15, if 24 Matthew, it says, So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. This is a biggie in the Bible. It's a biggie in the book of Daniel. God is talking with Daniel. And God says the end of time will bring about the abomination of desolation. And people have thought maybe it's this, maybe it's that. During the intertestamental period, you may have heard of somebody called the Maccabees, Judas Maccabee, and he was a priest that was also a warrior, and the Romans, when they were coming to power in the intertestamental period, actually put a statue of Zeus in the Holy of Holies in the temple, okay? The Maccabees said, this is the abomination of desolation. Okay, and if you read 1st and 2nd Maccabees, they go, ah, that's it. But Jesus is here in Matthew 24 saying, hadn't happened yet. So, what's going to happen? In 70 AD, the general Titus, Roman general Titus, he came and marched on Jerusalem because the Jews were fighting back. And he stood in the Holy of Holies and claimed that he was the God of the Jews. There's an abomination of desolation that happened after Jesus said this. But if people are saying, nah, it's got to be bigger than that. In 70 AD, Titus destroyed the temple, knocked every stone off from one another, leveled it flat. Okay, And so the temple was destroyed in 70 AD. Uh, but people are saying, no, 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 no. It's got to be bigger than that. And so the current view of your conservative scholars is that when the temple is rebuilt, and the temple will be rebuilt, as so in the book of Revelation, the temple is rebuilt in Jerusalem, the Antichrist himself will stand in the Holy of Holies and claim that he is God. That's kind of what we're looking for. That's kind of what we're going to, aha, that's it is what people are thinking about because of the pronouns that are used, because of things that are used. It doesn't have to, it's not a temporary thing. It has to be something that will <clears throat> usher in the second coming of Jesus Christ. And if the Antichrist does that, declares that he is the God of the Old Testament in the temple, that will trigger the second coming of Jesus Christ. But it's something we can look for in the news. We can look for what's happening in Jerusalem. If you get alerts on your phone or your TV that the temple is being rebuilt, then we are close. We are closer than we've ever been before. It is happening soon because when the temple is being rebuilt, then that kicks off the tribulation and such. 
And then in 2429, it says, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken and then Jesus Christ will come back. And so the study of end things is called an eschatological study, the study of last things. There are eschatological studies in seminary. You study all the different theories, and there are dozens, maybe a hundred different theories about the order of things. We all agree, if you are a Bible-believing person, you believe that these things will happen, but the question is when. And so people study it and come up with theories and of the theories, you have a millennium, a millennial period. Millennial period is when Christ exists as king on earth for a thousand years, before the new heaven and the new earth. There are premillennial people. Baptists tend to be premillennial. We believe that the uh, millennial will come after the second coming of Jesus Christ, when Jesus Christ comes again, he will set up a temporary thousand-year kingdom on earth. There is post-millennial who believe that the millennial is going to happen on earth. It's going to happen. We're going to see it right there before Jesus comes. Jesus comes after the millennial, post-millennial. And you've heard people, I've heard people, I don't know if you've heard people, but I've heard people who believe that uh, the world is going to get better. There is going to be a worldwide revival that everybody is going to say, oh, churches were right. Everybody's going to say, oh, Jesus Christ was right. And they're all going to, and the churches are going to be filled and we can't build enough churches to hold everybody. There are people who believe that is coming. There are people who believe that is coming soon and that you will see a godly kingdom on earth where Jesus Christ is not physically present. There are people who believe that. There are God-believing people, people that I respect their uh, literature, that I use their commentaries, who believe that. Because you can believe everything about God and we can differ radically about eschatological things. There are those who say, ah, millennial. There is no millennium. It's just a, it's a state of mind. It is something that you just uh, feel in your heart. And that Jesus Christ, when he comes back at the end, is going to set up his real new kingdom, new heaven and new earth, and there's no real millennium. And you think, okay, but you, know, you can still go to heaven with that view. That view is just something that you, that's how you interpret Scripture. And if you're premillennial, then you have something called a rapture. And if we look at verses, uh, chapter 24, verses 40 and 41, then two men will be in the field. One will be taken, one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken, one left. That is the rapture. The rapture is when living Christians, Christians who have not died, living Christians are bodily taken up into heaven to meet Jesus in the air. 
The rapture is taught in the letters of Paul. The rapture is taught in the book of Revelation. The rapture is taught here. There are very few people who say the rapture is a myth. Okay? It is so strong in Scripture that there will be a time before new heaven and new earth, before new kingdom, new Jerusalem, there will be a time where Jesus will say, everybody out of the pool, and he will take all believers out of the world. Okay? And you have movies like Left Behind. You have movies like Thief in the Night from the 70s. You have movies that talk about what's going to happen on earth when all the Christians disappear. And of course, it's good, solid speculation. But if, if you know, a billion people disappeared this afternoon, the world would be shaken. The world would wonder what's going on. And you know, some people would say aliens, and some people would say whatever. And some people say that it is the removal of Christians that allow the uh, Antichrist to come to political power. To say, I know, the, I know what's going on, and I'm going to make it so you don't disappear if you only elect me. Okay, so that's one view. When does the tribulation occur? Some people say the beginning of the seven-year tribulation, pre-trib. Some people say at the middle of the seven-year tribulation, mid-trib. Some people say at the end of the tribulation, post-trib. Okay, we don't know. When you are on your way up into the air to meet Jesus, then you will know. And at that point in time. And so some people say because the Bible presents it as a thief in the night, as totally unexpected, that it will happen way before the tribulation. It will happen at such a time where we don't really see any signs. There is no Antichrist on earth. One book that I read said it'll happen 100 years before the tribulation. Most people think that that's a bit early, eh, but we don't know. God's going to do what he's going to do. God is going to rapture all the believers bodily out of this world and meet him in the air. He is then going to resurrect all the people who have died, all the Christians who have passed away. All the graves will open and they will bodily rise out of the grave and meet Jesus in the air. And so some people say, oh, I don't want to die. I'm going to uh, be raptured. Well, I don't think it's something you can plan for. You just have to plan for being right with God wherever, whatever happens to you, whatever is going on with you. And so how can you, because Jesus says it at 42, therefore stay awake. For you do not know the day of the Lord is coming, but know if the master of the house had known what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore you must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. And so how do we do that? How do I stay awake? I think first and foremost, and this is throughout Scripture, is you pray about the second coming. You pray that Jesus will come quickly. That is the closing of the book of Revelation. That is what John said at the end of the book of Revelation. Come quickly, Lord Jesus, as a prayer. You can pray that. You can pray that every day. You can pray that every Friday, whenever you want. Pray it regularly. Pray for the second coming and pray that you will be ready. 
Pray that you are saved. Pray that you are righteous, that you are seen as God, as one of His children. Ask God to show you any sin that you are holding on to and get it forgiven and live as holy and righteous a life as we can with the daily understanding that Jesus Christ could come at any day so that if I see you at the grocery store and I say, are you ready for the second coming of Jesus? You can say, absolutely, because you are, because you've thought about it, because you're thinking about it, because you're praying about it, and because you're in Scripture and you're looking at how God wants you to live and you're looking at the end time parables and you're looking at what Jesus said and what Paul said and what John said about the things of the end times and you're saying, yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready today. I've got nothing else to do. I've got all my ducks in a row and I'm just going to work for God every day until he comes, but it's always on my mind every day. I think about the second coming. I think about that day when there will be no pain and no death. The day that we will see God face to face. The day when everything will be set up. And when Jesus Christ comes again, and if you get on the internet, you will see thousands of paintings of people who have made, this is all the uh, people being raptured and resurrected and meeting Jesus in the air. And if you look at this closely, it is true as to what this says. All the weapons that the angels have are trumpets. Angels don't have swords. They don't have tanks. They don't have howitzers. Why? Because Jesus doesn't need any help to win the battle of Armageddon. When people are standing on earth in the valley of Megiddo, shaking their fist at God and challenging him to a fight, all Jesus has to do is show up and say one word and they're all dead. Jesus needs no help. He is God incarnate. And this is what we're envisioning. This is what we're praying for. And when it actually happens, every artist's conception is going to be totally wrong. But it's something for us to look at and to say, wow, it's going to be great. And to anticipate that day, whether we be raptured or resurrected. And so if we look at the Bible, these are things that we don't split a church over. We don't split a church over pre-trib versus mid-trib. We don't split a church versus premillennial or amillennial. We don't split a church, fire a pastor, or quit a church over these eschatological order of things. If you know somebody who says Jesus Christ is never coming back ever again, and we are all on our own forever then that person needs help. That person, you need to get them saved. Okay? If you find yourself in a church which says Jesus Christ is never coming back, ever, 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 that is a church that is not preaching the Bible because the Bible is clear. Jesus Christ is coming again. And when he comes again, everything will be righteous. Now, we don't Look at that and go, huh, well, it's not really serious. It doesn't really mean it. We say, yeah, I don't know when he's coming back. 
I know basically how, where. He's probably going to land on the Mount of Olives. It says that in the book of Revelation. It kind of indicates that when he touches down physically on earth, it's probably going to be the Mount of Olives. But if he lands on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, am I going to tell him he's wrong? No, because Jesus Christ can do whatever he wants. The Bible is clear that he's coming back. He's coming back for us. Some will be raptured, most will be resurrected, and we will meet him in the air, and so we will be forever with the Lord. And so we understand that he's coming back. We understand that there is a rapture, that there is a resurrection. We understand that those who have died in Christ are not lost. They will be bodily raised from the dead and meet him in the air. And we shall be forever with the Lord. Let us pray. Lord God Almighty, I thank you for this truth, for this day, for this understanding that you are coming again. And as we sing songs and as we read scripture and as we pray through these things, I pray that you will keep in our mind that you are in fact coming again. And I am ready by believing in you, by believing that, by praying through things, by staying in your word. Lord, I thank you for this truth and this truth for all eternity. We ask this through the blood of Christ. Amen. Cornerstone Fellowship is located at 180 Llewellyn Boulevard, San Lorenzo, California. Our Sunday morning service is at 1045 a.m. Our website is livingfreetoday.org and our phone number is 510-278-2622. May God continue to bless you as you serve your King. God bless.